morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to church this morning. If you're watching online, welcome. We're glad to have you with us. And we're excited to be kicking off part three of our different series here at the church. Uh, my name's Adam. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And uh, last week I was speaking at our West Hills campus, and uh, Pastor Jordan there uh, introduced me as uh, Pastor Andy. Told everybody that Pastor Andy was going to be speaking, so I let them know quite quickly that I am the younger, hairier, heavier version of him. And uh, that's what you're getting this morning. And so we're glad to have you with us. But um, we've noticed something. And if you're going to be honest, we've all kind of noticed something. There's a great human irony. And it says, though, although we are very diverse, we're very different, we're very unique, as different as we are, at our core, we're kind of all the same really. And this is what we've tried to been trying to highlight throughout this series by using emblems such as the fingerprint. They're all the same, but they're different. A key, it's the same, but they're all different. And thankfully so, otherwise creepos might be sneaking into your house. It's good that they're different, right? We have, um, we have puzzle pieces that are the same, yet they're different. And when you think of our similarities, we've got lots of them. Similarities that look a lot like when somebody holds a baby for the first time, these feelings of awe. Or when you look at a sunset or a sunrise, these kind of universal feelings of, of wonder. Or, or, or death. When we approach death and a loved one passes away, these feelings of, of pain and loss and grief and sorrow. See, we have a lot of things in common. As different as we may be, we, we share a lot of likeness. And one of which would be the way, kind of universally, people approach subjects like ambition. You see, there's these kind of uh, global ambitions, ambitions of many, that look a lot like achievement. If I can just achieve more, I'll be doing better with my life. Or um, knowledge, if I, if I know more. Or, or, or experience, if I can just experience more. It is to say, if I accomplish more, know more, do more, own more, then maybe, just maybe, then I will lead a life worth living. But Paul, in the book of Philippians, throws us an alternative. He throws us an alternate perspective that, that, that changes things. And then I have a lot of time for his perspective, because he's presenting this particular book. He wrote it while he was in prison. And when you're in prison, you have an opportunity to evaluate things. You have an opportunity to think about life without any luxuries. You, get, you have this opportunity to look, to look really quite honestly at the depths of who you are, what you believe, the way you approach religion, Christianity, faith. And what do you throws out there is he essentially says, what if there is a greater ambition? What if these three things, these three ambitions are just a reduction of something more? And essentially what he gets at, he says, what if this greater, uh, this greater um, ambition is actually knowing Christ? Like, like think about that for a moment. What if, what if we were to change our emphasis changed our perspective, just, just, just altered our priorities a little bit to, to, to re-look at how we approach religion. Because you've got to remember, this particular book that he wrote, this Philippians, he wrote it to a church. He wrote it to try and realign some, some thinking, some perspective. And essentially he makes the argument and says basically that there's a world of difference between being a religious person 
and knowing Jesus personally. And if we can figure that out, like if we can, if we can begin to reconcile our theology and our, our, our experience, everything changes. This book comes alive. Faith becomes real. And this is what he's, what he's tackling in, in Philippians chapter 3. So, so let's look at right at the beginning. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. It opens with these words, and this is what he says. He says, whatever happens, good or bad, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Now, the word rejoice isn't really a great word because it's, such, it's a super Christian word. Like, who uses the term rejoice? Unless you're Robin Hood or William Shakespeare. Nobody says, oh, great, I'm at church. Honey, let's rejoice. Oh, honey, the kids slept through the night. May we rejoice together. <laughs> no one talks like that. Nobody. But if you take the, the look at the Greek definition of this word rejoice, it's cheerful. Be cheerful. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, be cheerful in the Lord. If we look at the definition of rejoice, it means to feel or to show great delight. It is to say, is what, what he's trying to communicate, he's saying, listen, Christians, listen, people, listen, humanity, whatever happens, whatever it is that you face, my dear brothers and sisters, would you feel or show great delight in the Lord. Now, undoubtedly, people heard this. And like, <laughs> okay, Paul. Okay. But then he continues. He says, I never get tired of telling you these things. Never. And I do it to safeguard your faith. Well, why is that? Because he understands something extraordinarily profound. And he's kind of earned the right to say it because he's standing in prison when he writes these words. But essentially what he says, he says, if your Christianity isn't deep enough to sustain you in the hard times, your faith is too shallow. You need to be able to learn to worship when you don't feel like it. You need to be able to learn to praise God, to thank God, even when everything inside of you tells you, stop. He's getting at something really foundational. You see, being religious is different than knowing Jesus. And essentially what he's saying is he's saying knowing Jesus personally provides a different perspective on Christian worship. He's saying you don't need to just worship in church. Like, 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 like don't relegate worship to a 20-minute spot that happens once a week with songs in this room from this platform with you sitting there and hearing the songs. As wonderful as this moment was today, it's not just about this moment. It's not just about worshiping when we feel like it or when, when the system kind of forces us to do it. It's not just about worshiping when we, when we like the songs. Actually, it's not, has, it doesn't really have anything to do with songs. He's saying whatever happens, whether you're at church but quite honestly, wherever it happens too, whether you're at home, whether you're at work, whether you're putting your kids down, whether you're, you're sitting with a spouse who's just received a horrible diagnosis, whether you're, while you're walking down the street, you're at Wendy's or Starbucks or wherever you are, he's implying that there's this opportunity that we have to be able to worship, whether we feel like it 
or we don't, whatever happens, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. You see, things may not be where you want them to be, but we can rejoice in the Lord because thank God they're not where they could have been were it not for the grace of Jesus, were it not for the grace of God. And so he's, what he's trying to do is he's trying to reframe the way this church saw the Christian faith. And he elaborates. Get to verse five. He drops this bomb. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Everyone's like, awkward. Thanks for opening with that one. Where are you even going here with that, Paul? Weirdo. He says, essentially, even when I was a baby, I was committed to this religion thing. Like, I'm all in. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I'm from the right stock, the right Christian pedigree. I come from the right lineage. I come from a, a religious home. He elaborates even further. He says, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. In other words, as a baby I was religious, my family was religious, my friends were religious, everything I did, everything I was, I was committed. He says, I was so zealous. Like if that's not enough, hear me. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. In other words, I did things that most people wouldn't even consider doing. Then as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. In other words, I didn't do things most people did anyways. Like I, I was committed to this. I was as religious as they come. But in verse seven, he says, and I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Something changed. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else. Everything I used to value, everything, every ambition I used to have, like all these good things, like they're, they're, they're meaningless. In fact, he says, I count it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Like, are you hearing what he's saying? Do you get it? Like, like, like don't be deceived. He's saying, ladies and gentlemen, my, my old ambitions in comparison to knowing Christ garbage. When you know Christ personally, everything changes. It says, don't make your faith about the stuff that you do or don't do. There's so much more to the Christian experience. You see, knowing Jesus personally provides a different perspective on Christian living. Paul had this epiphany he had this kind of revelation moment where the lights just turned on for him. And he realized that Christianity is more about what Jesus had done for him than what he was doing for Jesus. And we need to hear that this morning. Christianity is more about what Jesus has done for us 
and less about what you can do for him. So stop trying so hard. Some of you, you're here with heavy hearts. You're exhausted because you've just been trying to make God think you're not a screw-up. If I can just convince God that I'm better than I am, then maybe I'll be fine. Who are you trying to impress? Sometimes what starts off as a spiritual motivation becomes all of a sudden a relational motivation. And we just start trying to impress the people around us. Don't fall into that trap. You're not promoted based on merit. Jesus isn't in heaven looking at the church saying, uh, could you work a little bit harder there, please? You're kind of embarrassing me. <laughs> That's not how he works. Christianity isn't a job. There's no such thing as employee of the month. There's no pay raises. Like, there's no like, oh, if I get Christian enough, then I only have to give 9%. Like, it doesn't work like that. Like, like it's, it's, it's more complex. But at the same time, ironically, it's not that it's more complex, it's that it's way more simple than we've made it feel. It's all about a relationship. It's all about your personal relationship with Jesus. That's what it boils down to. That's what he's getting at. So he continues. He says in verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And everybody reading this be like, wow, yeah, good one. That's awesome. I can, I can totally identify with what you're saying there, Paul. That's really good. But then he says, I want to suffer with him sharing in his death too. And everyone's like, whoa, he's hardcore. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. You see, Paul understood something really important. He understood that his personal relationship with Jesus mattered. And it provided a different perspective on Christian leadership too. On the way we do, the way we practice our, our, our faith. Essentially what he's implying is he's implying that there's a world of difference between knowing about Jesus and actually knowing Jesus. And religion is really great at telling people about Jesus or telling people that there is a Jesus. But sometimes, like the saddest piece is that we can get content with thinking like that's all this experience is about. If we can just align ourselves to a particular worldview or, or understanding of how God works, then intellectually, I guess, we're Christians. But what Paul is presenting is something far more spiritual and way more profound. He's saying it's not just intellectual stuff. It's not just about knowledge. So I want to actually know Jesus. And quite honestly, that's the best part about Christianity, friends that we get to know Jesus. But not just know him, because if you know him, you also get to experience him. And this is somewhere where Christians, we often, we often draw a line in the sand, and we draw the line in the sand partly because of comfort. We say we want to experience God, but we're only willing to do it on our terms. 
And we get content with just knowing that you can experience God. Like when he says here, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Christ or raised him from the dead, we get okay with thinking to ourselves, well, as long as I know that, that people have experienced that power or those around me have, or, or hopefully Pastor Luke, when he's leading in worship, maybe hopefully he's received this power. But like we get this idea that, that it's not for us. That it, like this, this experiencing the power that raised Christ from the dead is for some like elect few. That's not how it works. It's for everybody. And we're a church that believes that. We're a church that believes that, that Christ raised from the dead, that the same power that raised him lives in us. We believe in healing. We believe in miracles. We believe that the blind can see. We believe that the uh, addicted can be set free. We believe, in the, we believe in speaking in tongues. We believe in the miracles. We believe that God still speaks to people, leads people, directs people, guides people, that God wants to be an intricate and profound part of our lives. We believe that here. We don't just sing songs. We don't just pray blindly. We believe that we're, we're doing this to a person. And that changes everything. And this is what Paul's trying to get at to this particular church community. He's like, guys, listen, it doesn't matter what you know or what you think you know. You can know Christ and experience him. Mind blown. But he takes it one step further. And he says something that most of us would be too uncomfortable to say. He says, I want to suffer with him sharing in his death. Like, I want to be a part of Jesus so much. Like, I want him in my life so badly. I care so much about my personal relationship with him that I want to suffer just as he suffered. Like, I care more about this life. I understand that my life is not just what I'm experiencing right now in the here and now. But this is a part of a, a, an eternal system. And one day I'm going to die. And my relationship with Jesus doesn't just matter in here. But my relationship with Jesus is going to matter then too. And so, yeah, I'm going to suffer on this side of the earth on this side of heaven. We all get that, suffering's a part of life. One out of one people die, get over it. It's part of our reality. And what Paul is saying is he's saying, listen, I get it. It's gonna be hard, but it's gonna be worth it. And then verse 12 comes along. <laughs> verse 12. This is where Paul gets so honest. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached some perfection. I mean, literally one sentence ago, he said, I want to suffer with him sharing in his death. Then his next line is, hold on, okay. <laughs> let, me, let me just get this straight with everybody before I continue. Yeah, all those points in my sermon I just preached, yeah, I'm not actually even living those out. <laughs> and everyone's like, What? He's like, I, I haven't reached this perfection. I, I, I'm not perfect. I, I'm still trying to process these things. But wait, I press on. I may not be where I could be. I may, be, I may not be perfect, but I'm trying. 
And it's this piece that I can identify with. Because as preachers, we come up here and we want to practice what we preach. And so, so, so we preach that. But, but Paul violated that. And there's this piece of me that's like, Paul, what are you doing? You don't tell people that you're not practicing your sermon. Like, like you, you missed it, bro. But Paul's like, no, there's something bigger here, Adam. He continues. He says, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. He says, no, dear brothers, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I, I, I can't control my yesterday. I, I, I wish I didn't do the things that I do, but I did them. I can control my now, though. And so I'm pressing on because I care. I want to grow. I want to develop. Don't worship me. Worship Jesus. I don't have this fully figured out. I'm pressing on. He says, verse 14, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I I have a, a, a next step. I haven't got it all figured out yet. There's still room to grow. There's still room to learn. There's still things to do and accomplish. And that's what I love about this verse. And if you're here this morning, we all have a next step. We all have something we can, we can grow a little more in. Something we can tidy up. Some kind of character issue we need to develop. What I love about Paul is he's real. And what he's implying here is he's saying that, listen, like knowing Jesus personally provides a different perspective on Christian maturity. Because up until this time, the world would have thought like the Christian mature crowd or the Pharisee crowd. They're the ones who have it all figured out. But what Paul is saying is like, listen, maturity is more about owning shortcomings than it is about covering mistakes. What, what Paul is identifying here is something that is just so real and so honest, and that's what makes Christianity so beautiful. Christian maturity is actually about ownership. You may not be at fault for the things that have happened to you, but it's your responsibility to take ownership over those things. We've got to take ownership. Christian maturity is about vulnerability, about humility, about honesty. And I can follow a leader like that. In fact, there's three reasons, three main reasons why we moved to Victoria from Edmonton. Number one, Edmonton has eight months of winter. Easy reason. Number two, Victoria has really great coffee and breakfast everywhere. But number three, we came because of Pastor Andy and Lisa. Because there is an honesty to how they lead. They're real. And he's not pretending he's perfect. He looks perfect all the time. I'm like, gosh, I'm here just to like, as a juxtaposition to show you what reality looks like. You let yourself go, you're going to look like me. That's all it is. But what I love about Pastor Andy and Lisa is that they don't pretend to have all the answers. They don't pretend to be perfect. I didn't come here because of the things that they've done or accomplished. And they've done some great things. This church is amazing. 
But I came to follow them. I follow them because they're real. There's something authentic in them. And I want that in my life. I can get behind that kind of leader. And that's what Paul is modeling here. Paul's modeling this, this kind of openness. I don't, have, I don't have it all figured out. But what I do know is it all boils down to Jesus. And I press on. And I press on. Verse 18, he comes to wrap it up. And I'll close up with this. He says, For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes. So this whole letter takes kind of this turn. It gets very real. And I can just imagine everybody kind of leaning in and listening. Okay, what, what is it that's making you have tears in your eyes? I say it with tears in my eyes that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. And I've read this like so many times. And just assumed that what Paul was talking about was people from like outside of the church. Because I didn't grow up going to church. I remember what it felt like to be an enemy of Christ. Like I never would have called myself that. <laughs> but I definitely remember what it felt like thinking like there's no way, no way God can be real. I remember those feelings. I remember those thoughts. And I assumed that he was talking to people like me before I went to church. But he's actually talking to people in the church. He's actually talking to people like me after I started going to church. And that's when this verse got really real in my eyes. Because he goes on to say, they are headed for destruction. And that's a curious thing. Because it doesn't necessarily mean that they are aware of it. You could totally, like the people who would have been re- listening to this as it was being written and being read out loud, they would have been sitting there listening and thinking to themselves, oh, I know exactly who you're talking about, and pointing their fingers, and then not realizing that, wait a second, I think you're talking to me. He says, their appetite, or their God is their appetite. And what he's trying to get at is, It's entirely possible to serve Jesus but be led by another God. To be fed by another God. To get our sustenance, our identity, our value from another God. No, 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 no. I'm not going to go to a different God, Adam. I know. But you might go to a girl or a career or, or stuff, or a substance, or a, a value, or an ambition. And all of a sudden, these little appetites, the Bible has another word for appetites. It's idolatry. And we start idolizing things other than Christ. And this is what he's getting at. He says, they brag about shameful things. This one's... I can catch that. I mean, I'm sure there are some people listening that day who, who, who maybe they, they'd brag about all the wealth they have and all the girls they'd been with or, or whatever. But there's this piece of me that wonders if maybe these bragging about shameful things are a little bit more closer to home and far more subtle. Shameful things that just, just weave themselves into our dialogue 
things that start sounding like my church is better than their church. I, I give more money than they give. I volunteer more. I mean, like, this church is basically built on my shoulders. I mean, if it were not for me, you guys wouldn't even have this particular ministry because I built that. And, and, and it's because you have skin in the game, so I can totally get it. So I'm not throwing shade. I'm not throwing stones. I'm being honest. Because I don't think everybody reading or hearing these words the first time they were penned were these, like, rampant sinners. In fact, I wonder if they looked a lot more like you and like me. And Paul's sharing these words and everyone's like, oh, man. And he says, they think about only life here on earth. I have so much grace here. Life is hard. I have four kids. I get it. I don't just have to worry about me. I have to worry about these four little humans all the time. Like it's so easy to get caught up in just worrying about now, worrying about their future, worrying about their tomorrows. Like it can get so, so daunting as a parent. It can get so easy when, when we're experiencing pain to only focus on the here and the now. Because let's be honest, if you stub your toe, that pain is very real. And it's very hard to think about anything other than the fact that you just stubbed your toe. And this pain in my toe is actually skewing all of my reality. And it's easy for me to just hyper-focus on just my pain. And this is what Paul's getting at. It's so easy, ironically, for the, for the church, the Christian. Because a personal relationship, the person has a personal relationship with Jesus. It's so easy for them to get distracted by the here and the now. So he continues. He says, but listen, we are citizens of heaven. I just went and got my passport the other day. It proves I am a Canadian citizen. This is implying I'm not just a Canadian citizen, but I'm also a heaven-ian, if that's a thing. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He's saying, listen, like knowing Jesus personally provides a different perspective on your Christian identity. Your identity all of a sudden isn't in the things that you've done. The stuff that you do. The church you attend the ministries you volunteer in, or the money you give. Your identity is in Christ. He's saying you're a citizen in heaven. Like that, that changes everything. It implies that I'm not just a Canadian who's a Christian, but rather I'm a Christian who's a Canadian, or an American, or whatever. It implies that I'm not just a body with a soul, but this is far more spiritual. I'm actually a soul with a body. I've been bought at a price. Jesus knows me intimately, and he knows you intimately. And what Paul is getting at is our personal relationship with Jesus changes everything. 
So you need to change your emphasis today. Would you stand to your feet with me? We'll close in prayer together. If you'd be so kind, I know it's a full room today, but uh, if you don't mind just closing your eyes, we'll try and make this room go from full to very, very personal. And Holy Spirit, I just pray for each and every person in this room. In the quietness of this moment, God, I ask that you would speak to us. God, I'm so thankful that we can know you personally. God, that that religion isn't just about um, behavior modification and, and following a worldview, but it's about something so much more than that. And because of that relationship, God, you want to grow and develop us because you actually care. So Lord, humbly all across this room, if our appetite has become our God, if we've looked to other things for for hope or for value or for identity, God, I pray that you forgive us this morning and that you would show us what it looks like to have you as the center. Lord, if if we've been bragging about sinful things, and maybe maybe not in public, but maybe internally in our head, if our values are out of check, if our ambitions are askew, God, if there's things that we know we shouldn't be doing that we've got ourselves caught in, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would set us free. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would touch us this morning. God, that you would intervene. Lord, that you would come in a very real way. Father, that we would know that we know that we know that you are here, that you're bigger than our temptation, you're bigger than our struggle, you're bigger than our problem. And then, Father God, you've got a plan. Jesus, if we're focused only on this earth, only in this moment, only on the here and the now, Father God, I pray that you would expand our vision. Holy Spirit, that we'd have an eternal mindset. God, that when we look at people, we would see people as you see them, not just as we do. Father, that you would help us to see ourselves the way you see us. God, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would help us to see differently, think differently, worship differently, love differently. God, we need you. So we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for bringing everybody here. We thank you that, Lord, you've got a plan. We look to you for hope. We look to you with hope. In your name we pray. Everybody send.